Thank you so much. We're really looking forward to catching up with you. Um, anything before we kick it off? Um, no, man, it's just good to see you. It's good yeah, to good see you. All is well on my end. Uh, life is really good. Good. Yeah. Well, really excited to catch up on the topic of the ego and your new book and everything else you got going on. And um, yeah, we'll try to keep it for like 45 minutes. And uh, and if there's anything left unsaid, we'll, we'll do it again. Love it. Sounds great, dude. All right. Nico, my assistant, is listening in, just so you know. And uh, take, taking notes. And uh, I will kick things off. Give me one second. Okay. Oh, it looks like uh, Nico already kicked off the recording, so I'm just going to roll the intro. This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon, Chris Matakis. Hello, sir. Great to see you. Back on the podcast. Really excited to uh, catch up with you. Uh, we had a great first conversation. It's just a little recap to the listeners. Uh, you are Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Ricardo Almeida. You are a many, many time author. I, I, I'm losing track, uh, <laughs> but all of your books on jiu-jitsu are, are some of the absolutely best and most well-written books on, on the topic. Uh, I have been reading them long before we were introduced and met. And uh, a lot of your work has, has meant a lot to me over the years, especially at some very uh, pivotal times. And I could just like put myself exactly back into the moment that I was reading some of your books. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I was with my wife on the beach in Mexico and I was just like, Licking pages, <laughs> and I got through a few of your books on there. But it is it is really an honor to have you back and uh, and to call you a friend of the podcast, and uh, and I'm very excited to to dig into your new book. Man, I appreciate that. It's awesome to connect. I, uh, dude, it, within like two minutes of getting to know you the first time, I was just like, this is a really good dude. I want to get to know this guy and build this relationship. So I'm grateful to be doing it again. And uh, the floor is yours. Where should we go from here? Well, first, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little update on your life and your academy, you know, any of the high level. Yeah. Uh, so the academy is going well. Uh, we actually recently started combat jujitsu for our advanced students, which has been so much fun. And you talk about ego, you know, we're all very good at playing guard when someone's not trying to punch you in the face. But as soon as you add strikes, it becomes much more pragmatic and useful. And I can tell you, I'm sort of directing my academy's focus toward can my students protect themselves and the people they love in a street fight? Like that's really what I'm becoming most passionate about. So really gearing towards self-defense on the academy side, which has been great. Um, beyond the mat, uh, the writing has been fun. I, I love writing and will continue to do it. It's something that I have to do. And I'm just grateful that I get to do it with jujitsu, with things that transcend the art. And then the performance coaching has been an absolute joy just to get to serve people off the mat as well. And um, my wife and I just moved into our dream home alone in the woods. So life is extraordinarily good right now. That, that was going to be the last thing I asked you off of our last podcast as you expressed how much you love being in the woods and hiking and, and how much of a priority that was for you to, to weave into your life. So it looks like you've taken some more steps towards that. Dude, we did it. And I can't tell you how so I, I have a few really close friends who have gone on testosterone replacement therapy recently. And they all said, like, dude, night and day, I feel incredible. That's how I felt moving out into the woods. It's like I have <laughs> layers of trees between myself and civilization. And it's just it's been a joy. I find I'm much more centered and present and mm -hmm. the happenings of the day don't seem to touch me in a way they used to as far as stress goes when you're surrounded by trees. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. Uh, how far away is the home from the academy? One hour, sir. It's a commute. So wow. this was the decision we had. I could be in alone in nature. I could be close to my wife's family or I could be close to the academy. I could get like two out of three, but I couldn't get all three. So I chose the commute to the school, but we've got audiobooks, we've got podcasts like this one. So mm -hmm. I'm making the most of the time. That's great. So uh, give us a little rewind. Um, just give it before we get into the new book. Talk to us about you know some of the motivations of when you started writing, and uh, and specifically on the topic of jujitsu. Like, what what was that process like? Yeah. Uh, so it turns out I've always written, and I didn't realize this until. 
a while ago, I went to visit my parents and I was cleaning out my childhood bedroom closet. And I found these little things I wrote, like, Lisa didn't dance with me at the sixth grade social. And like, you know, like working through those problems. So I've always done that. And I had no idea I did. And then I was probably around a brown belt. I was the head instructor at my teacher's school in Newtown, Pennsylvania. And I was always sending emails to my friends, just random ideas I had. And my one friend kind of challenged me like, dude, you should write a book. And I was like, okay. And I had no organizational ability. So what I did was every day I emailed them the book until the end of the week, the book was done. That was the first my mastery and then figured out how to publish it and all that. Um, and then beyond that, it was just, I went away on this solo road trip across America to kind of just like reestablish what I wanted, where I was going. And I came back and I recognized I'm going to devote a large portion of my life to jujitsu more specifically. Mm -hmm serving people through jujitsu and I better have a damn good reason why I'm doing it. So that was when I wrote on jujitsu, which was kind of like through the lens of virtue and vice, what it is we're doing through grappling, because I wanted to really understand, I know this thing is valuable. I know people change their lives through this art. And if you can't remember why you're probably going to lose track of why you're here. So I really wanted to kind of codify it. And since then it's just been, I love writing. I love jujitsu. And I just think we leave so much on the table with how much we could get out of this art. Like we can all be better husbands, better fathers, better businessmen. Anything you do in life can be improved through a sincere study of this art. And I just kind of want to help people get the most out of this art. Yeah, it's uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful art. So <clears throat> you've been called the Tony Robbins of jujitsu. I think that's a great, uh, a great uh, calling for you. Uh, let me tell you about my experience with my own journey. And I hope that this could maybe frame our conversation a little bit. Please. But as I was building my businesses in my mid to late 20s, you know, very quickly, all of my natural talents were quickly evaporated. And they, you know, they took the business about as far as I could go with just knowing what I knew. And this moment in my life, I went to this like very, very, very well-known private equity investor. We had this great meeting and then he started asking me all these questions and I didn't have the answers to any of those questions. And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, Jordan, you're a great guy, but you don't know enough about your business. And off of that, I had, first of all, I was taken back um, because I had built this great business. <laughs> I walked out of that meeting, I was with my dad. And I had two options off of that meeting. I could say, fuck him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm the shit. I built this business Or I could say, I need to learn <laughs> all those questions that he asked me. Luckily, I had already started jujitsu at that point. I was maybe a year or two into my jujitsu journey. And I knew enough to know what I didn't know. And when I was in the presence of a black belt, you know, someone who was really trying to teach me something. And I started calling on advisors and reading in books. And I very quickly figured out the answer to those questions. As a matter of fact, you can't see it, but out of the frame over here, I have a cork board. And on the upper hand right uh, of this cork board, I have those questions still there. So what are you, what are you asking me? <laughs> Around the same time, um, I was on a family vacation and my father had suggested that I read the book Money by Tony Robbins. He wasn't a Tony Robbins guy, but he saw Tony on CNBC. And I was reading this book and I had like this revelation. And the revelation was, you're being the asshole. You know, <laughs> I was the prop, the maker of my madness. I, you know, it wasn't my family who don't understand. It wasn't my business partners who don't get it. It was this, this very formative moment in my life around the time that I was 28. I'm 37 now, where I said to myself, if you want to get to the level that these people have gotten, whether it was in jujitsu or in business, then you better open up your mind to the fact that your natural abilities and talents are not going to get you there. Yeah. And I became obsessive with reading because I was never a great reader in school. But what I found was all these books were unlocking the answers to everything that I wanted. And your books have also been, you know, that source of inspiration for me on so many fronts. And so now I, I, I turn it back on you, you know, where, where was your, where did your story begin with your ego? When did it, when did you become aware and awake to the fact that it existed? All right. So I played baseball as a little kid. 
And the first all-star team I ever tried out for was the eight-year-old all-star team. And this was like it, right? All the cool kids make the team. So the coach says, I'll call you guys by noon on Saturday if you made the team. So I'm up at like five in the morning, just waiting by the house phone. My mom's in the kitchen waiting for this call. And the call never came. And I was crushed. Like my world was ending. Now here's the messed up part. The coach forgot to call. I made the team. (laughs) But you know what's even more messed up is I still feel the need to clarify that I did make that team as an eight-year-old baseball player. So I think that was the moment when this not enoughness model got stuck in my head, where I started always operating from a place of scarcity, where if I can achieve this thing, if I can achieve X, then I'll be enough. And it's a broken model. So it doesn't matter how well you fulfill the prescription, you're not gonna be fulfilled. And dude, that started in baseball when I was eight years old. It bled into high school football. It bled into my pursuit of jujitsu. Like I had a different 20s than you did. My 20s was literally I'm on Professor Almeida's mat as much as is humanly possible seven days a week. Yeah. And in my head, it was, well, as long as you're getting better jujitsu, this is a worthwhile use of your time. You know, you can neglect your finances, your meaningful relationships. You can neglect all that as long as your guard passing is getting better. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds worthy to me. (laughs) Yeah, right. It was a a good life. But embedded in all of that, I never really found the fulfillment I was looking for because just how you said, right? Like, you know enough to know that you don't know and you're looking for the black belts around you where every time you break out into a new layer of understanding, there's just more stuff to learn. And it goes on and on in infinite pursuit. So here I was attempting to find self-satisfaction that only I would give myself through jujitsu. And it was an impossible task. And it wasn't until the whole situation with tearing the pecs and being forcibly humbled that I was finally able to see my ego for what it was, that it was, I thought it was the driving force that allowed me to get better, like that necessary tension that pushes you forward. But really, it was just a handicap that impeded forward motion. I just didn't know there was an alternative fuel source. Mm. Yeah. The the recognition of, of, of understanding is is what allows you to start to, to master it. And, and your experience tearing your, is it your pecs, right? Or your biceps? But yeah, I think you, yeah. It's, um, it's a it's a it's a cruel but a beautiful teacher to uh, do it. You know, I've, I've you and I were talking offline right before this first started. I'm about to go back to jujitsu tonight for the first time in two months after tearing my full tear of my LCL, partial tear of my PCL, and I remember as it was happening, just knowing the road, the journey that I was about to have to embark on, and you know, it's the why is this happening to me moment. Everybody's why is this happening to me that you have to get off because so many people, these moments happen to them and then they can't ever get back to the thing that they love and they just quit. So so my, my first question on this subject to you is maybe explain the difference between outright quitting and tapping. Like why <laughs> is, like, what is the difference? Like, you know, in ego, when you tap, some people, they don't want to tap. But there's a very big difference between giving up altogether and quitting and just tapping to life. Yeah, that's a good question. So I have like a fundamental belief. I don't know if it's true, but it's worked thus far. So I'm running with it. And I believe that everything can serve you. Every experience you have, like a Tony Robbins would say, is happening for you and not to you. And the problem with something that is so said so often is that it becomes cliche and we can't hear the truth embedded in the cliche. And I've always kind of viewed this as very simply, I have like a contract with life that you cannot control the uncontrollable. But when that steps to your door, you respond as best you can and you look for the gift within the problem. And that's that's why I love this idea of dragons and gold, right? You're the knight and you go and slay the dragon. You don't get gold without dragons. It's just, it's part of it. They're the same thing. So I would say the wisdom that you and I can derive and anyone listening can derive from 
a forced tap where you're injured and you can't be on the mat. You need to take six, 12 weeks, whatever it is away. There is an embedded opportunity that you could derive from that experience where tearing your PCL can actually be a blessing in the arc of your life if you use it wisely. So to get more specific to your question, you know, are you tapping to life or are, are you playing the long game? I think in jiu-jitsu, you can play jiu-jitsu to try to win this moment today, or you can play jiu-jitsu to try to win long-term. Yep. And one of the things that certainly younger competitors and athletes do, I did, was I was so focused on production that I neglected production capacity. And you can have a really heavily couple years of production as far as mat time. But if you're not playing the long game, you'll burn yourself out. So tearing a PCL or tearing pecs, it's almost like the body's mandatory respite to allow us to play the game long term. Mm -hmm. And had we gotten that message earlier on in the call, we may not have had to have the drastic experience of a major tear. Yeah, it's true. And it's... Uh... That little devil on your shoulder, if that's what we want to call the ego, uh, just, you know, it's, it's so interesting to me. You know, one of my, my favorite books is Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Yeah. If I recall correctly, he, he opens up that book and he gives kind of like, he's like, I'm a reluctant, you know, author of this book because who am I to talk about the ego? And then he says, well, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. And he goes through all his career highlights and then he gets to the end of his career highlights and he says... You see, what I didn't tell you was the pain and the suffering and the misery and all the things that were accompanying these highlights. And I think very too often, most people, um, they want to give their resume, you know, the highlight show of their life. Yeah. And what I'm so fascinated by is, is, is the downs, you know, the ups and the downs. Joe Rogan had this great quote and he's like, yeah, I love the, the you know, the, the highlight championship winning story, but I like the even better than that, the guy that fucks his whole life up and then comes all the way back to success. And it's like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, like the Robert Downey Jr. story or like any of these guys that just like take it all the not that it's you want to be so extreme, but um the reason I like those stories is because especially in business, it and, and jujitsu too, like it's so hard to keep coming back. Like it is so hard and so many nights where my head was on my steering wheel and I was parked outside of jujitsu and I was like, just go in. I was like, I don't want to go in. I just don't want to get beat up tonight. And then, and then I'm like, go. And I just open the door and go in. And then when I leave, I feel like so good. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had experiences like that? Yeah. And the thing that always got me through was the understanding that the environment grows the organism. So whatever it is you want to become, you have to put yourself in an environment that will force that adaptation. So from a standpoint of like jujitsu, we've all, I, I remember seeing a black belt train for the first time and it looked like sorcery. Like I will never be able to move like that. <laughs> but when you recognize that I deeply want to become that and feel that I have to become that, the only bridge between the day one white belt and that individual is the environment which creates that individual. So I think like motivation kind of falls short a lot, but if you can focus on what environment do I need to call forth the latent parts of me, which will only be met, made manifest through struggle, it makes it a lot easier. And then it also turns all the injuries into another blessing because if the environment grows the organism and you're forced to maybe stay at home and you can't go train for 12 weeks, now you're going to have an opportunity to be a much better father, a better husband, because you can't go train. So you might as well make the most of your time here. Mm. And I just feel like getting crystal clear on what is it you're aiming at? And then rather than figuring out how to get there, just think what environment would create that individual. And then you kind of have an obligation to your soul just to go get in that environment as much as you possibly can. So you bring up something really, really interesting here. And, uh, and I've been experiencing this firsthand. I have a young family, my, my son will be four in a few weeks and, and I have a 15 month old. And in a way, me being hurt is like, was great for my family. Daddy's home. <laughs> Daddy's here. 
And so you have to try to reconcile the two things in your life, which are I'm training for my mental health. I'm training so that I can perform at work. I'm training so that I can provide for my family. Um, it's also like a form of therapy. But on the other hand, whenever you're there, you're not with your family. <laughs> and occasionally, you know, that will come out, not just with your immediate family, but, you know, with my parents over the years, they've had a very difficult time understanding you know, my training, you know, saying, Hey, are you still doing that karate thing? And, you know, every single inch of my ego wants to be like, you know, it's jujitsu, but you just have to, the ego teaches you to just like, yeah, I'm still doing jujitsu. Yeah. And the, the fact that, you know, kind of your family has a very hard time understanding what you're going through. That is another aspect of the ego to keep in check where you have to, without being preachy, still do this thing that's incredibly good for you and that you know is good for them. And that's been something difficult for me to reconcile. So I'm interested on, as it relates to, to the ego and the family, have you had any experiences like this? Yeah. And bro, I think we all have. And I think I view it through the lens of a hero's journey that the hero goes off on the quest to find something they can't find at home. And the sacrifice of the people at home in the hero's absence is only made worthwhile by what the hero brings back to them. So I think it's our obligation that we have to go train. I have to go to nature, but I make sure that when I come back, I have more to give my wife and the people I serve. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's a reciprocal relationship where their sacrifice is worth it because of who you've become and what you give them out of that abundance, then I think you're not taking from your family. You're just giving to your family in a way that aligns with multiple facets of your being yeah that's a really important point um this past week i was uh i was given an award and the award is such an ego stroke right it was frivolous it's plastic you know you go to this thing it makes you feel good everybody congratulates you you have to put it on social media the, the whole thing yeah when i left i felt like almost not like depressed, but just like, all right, what now? You know, yeah. in the same week, I also teach this leadership seminar every summer, eight weeks. It's called Mix You. I have uh, last year at 130 participants. I've had 150 participants this year. You Once a week, one hour, they log onto a Zoom and we talk just like you and I are talking right now, business, philosophy. Um, and I share with them what I think is important in order to become a leader. It's kind of like the mat chat at the end of jujitsu, but just the mat chat portion. Yes. And every time I leave that and I get the students reach out to me, thanking me for, you know, helping them with their careers, their resumes, different things. I, I'm full of, of what you just described, which is this, I was able to give something and that like, fills me up. So with so much joy. And I was just like thinking about that this week because it happened to be on the same day last Wednesday. And one of the things I was thinking to myself was, in both cases, you have to watch for your ego. It's not just when you think like most people associate the ego with, okay, uh, like riches and Rolexes and, you know, being cocky, but people don't associate the ego with the other side of the coin, which is actually that um, you need to watch out for your ego in the moments of, of giving too. Like it, there's, it, it can go to the extreme on both ends. Yes. So, you know, as a, as a, professional, you know, instructor and teacher, how do you think about, how do you think about being there and being of service to your family and to your students, but, you know, keeping that ego in check? A man much wiser than me told me that you need to let go of praise and blame entirely. Like we're, we're pretty good at letting go of blame. We're much worse at letting go of praise. And to the degree that we're bought in to the fruits of our labor rather than the labor itself, I think we flounder. And there's this idea from the Bhagavad Gita that says you have the right to your labor, but not the fruits of your labor. That's and in your new book. I like that quote a lot. <laughs> yeah, dude, and it's so fitting right here because if you are fully invested in serving that group of students, there's no space for that ego to be like, oh, look how great I'm doing. Look at all this love I'm getting. There's just no room for it because you're not attached to those fruits. You're focused solely on the task at hand. And I don't think there is a better guide for any of us than whatever it is you do 
that allows you to receive praise, great, but just focus on the doing. And again, it's cliche, but dude, it's true. There's freedom in that. There, and then if you can't do it, right? Because let's say you're not able to control your mind and you don't know where your attention's going and you are unable to move your spotlight attention away from the voice that says, wow, look how great I am. Look how much I'm doing. If you can't get past that, then just focus on the people you're serving. Mm-hmm. You know, just focus on the soul right in front of you and give them everything you have. And at least in my own life, to the degree that I've been able to focus on the person I'm serving rather than how great I am doing the serving, it hasn't been too much of an issue. Yeah. Except when you go too far in that direction. <laughs> it's like you can be of too much of service. Yeah, you know, it's like one of the things I like I, I I try to make myself very available, especially to members of my team, people in my community that that wanna find success in entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And occasionally I'll have someone come into my office and they want to ask me a lot of questions. And so I'll give them the answers to those questions. And then they'll go back. And a few months later, they'll come back and they want to ask me this, the same questions again. But they didn't, as you said, they didn't want to put in the work. Yeah. And I'll say to them, you know, you're being an asshole, A-S-K-H-O-L-E, which is they are, you, you're, you're coming over too much. It's like, there's no such thing as a bad question. And I want you to bring me your questions, but I don't only want you to get the fulfillment out of asking the question. It's, it's supposed to propel you on your way to getting things done. It's like asking about the jujitsu technique, but not actually going and drilling that te- te- jujitsu technique yeah. and getting to the end of a month and not having drilled it and going back to your instructor without having done any work and saying, can you teach it to me again? I need to know more about it. I don't understand. And yeah. Of course, the humble teacher shows the technique again and, and waits for the student to learn. But the best students in the world, they you teach them that technique one time and they get it and they latch onto it. And I always try to think about that through the lens of my own learning, which is how quickly can I pick things up? Because I'm not always the quickest study, especially when it comes to areas that I'm not very good at. Mm-hmm. Um, but the challenge of, of, of struggling with the ego in this aspect of what do you say to that student when they come back again? And do you, are you a humble teacher or you, you know, lambast them and berate them and belittle them as the teacher? So I'm, I'm just, I'm so fascinated by these, uh, by all the different types of people. Um, I'll just say one more thing on the subject and I hope it clarifies it a little. It goes back to something you were just saying. My dad always had a good thing. Every time he had some kind of success, he would always say, you know, just get his ass right back to work because he thought that failure was chasing him. It yeah. felt like failure was chasing him. And if he slowed down for just one second, he would, failure would catch up to him. Yeah. And he would, if he did get an award or he did get some recognition, that's when you have to go back to the office the next day and just work so much harder. Same thing with, uh, you know, like you always hear the cliche of Kobe Bryant after a game, he would go back and he would do like a thousand free throws. And that is the exact point I'm trying to get here. And then the secondary point on it is just the, the relationship to the coach, nurturing these relationships and these people. And um, just find it to be so interesting who the people who pick this up quickly and then the people who have a hard time understanding it. Yeah. I, I have a couple students who are in a, I guess you would call it a select group of law enforcement where they have some very high level training. They have access to the best in the military and they kind of live by this theme. Selection is a never ending process. Mm. And we know what that means in nature, but we know what it means say in your marriage. Like if you aren't the husband that your wife married and you take your foot off the gas and you coast, She's still selecting whether or not you're her partner. You know, you have to work for the honor of being your spouse's partner. In jujitsu, you can be a black belt, but then you can go take six months off and you come back and you're rusty, you're clunky, you're not a black belt anymore. Yeah. So I love this idea, whether it's in business, jujitsu, or anywhere else, that you can't rest on your laurels because selection is the law of reality and it's a never-ending process. And if you just do the things today that will stave off uh, selection. So it's in your direction as opposed to the opposite. I think it's all you can do. You do it on a long enough timeline and really wonderful things happen. But bro, the day I, the day I start being a crappy husband, I may be selected out of my marriage, you know, yeah. and it's the same thing in every domain. So I like selection as a never ending process. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you brought up the family and marriages. Uh, I went to a seminar a couple weeks ago with, uh, it was in Jocko Willings 
organization, Echelon Front, and the Navy SEAL named J.P. Dinald was the was the gentleman giving the presentation. He's actually going to be on the podcast in, this week or next week. And um, he was in a room full of these tough first responders, police officers, firemen, soldiers. Everybody there was like, you know, big boys. And he's a Navy, you know, former Navy SEAL or Navy SEAL, and he's addressing the room. And before we get into the combat and we, before we got into the real meat and potatoes, he talked about his two failed marriages and the fact that his third marriage was about to be failed until he figured out his, I'm being an asshole moment and, you know, grappled with his ego, picked up jujitsu, by the way, uh, and did, went on TRT. He was very uh, <laughs> vocal about how that helped change his life. Um, but he, he was, he was very clear in saying that he was able to clean up his own personal life before he was able to go out there and start to be the right, the teacher and the man that he always wanted to be. And this is something that I've really, you know, tacked onto in my life, which is if I'm excelling in one area of my life, what are the things that I'm doing to bring over to other areas of my life? And the three key ones for me have been my family, my career, my jujitsu. And jujitsu, you know, in my the book that I'm writing coming up, it's all about these shared principles. It's all about, okay, I'm learning these things on the mat and I'm seeing them in my business. And now I'm seeing them in my family. And how can I bring them to all areas of my life? And so I'm interested how, you know, your relationship with your family and in the relate different dynamics in your family, have you seen jujitsu and your, you know, recognition of your ego? Uh, help you, you know, create better relationships? Yeah, I, I, I think most males, like I was born in 1986. So mm-hmm. most, you were 85? I'm 85. 85. Dude, we all kind of grew up with a chip on our shoulder. All, all of us did. Because you kind of grew up in that a man is X, Y, and Z. I need to fulfill that prescription. And Within that, we kind of created all these tacit barriers between ourselves and other people. And if you're not careful, you will hurt the people closest to you with those barriers. And one of the things I love about jujitsu is you get immediate feedback. You make a mistake, you get submitted. You make a mistake, you get swept. If you pay attention, your wife will present you immediate feedback as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. So jujitsu has taught me to actually pay attention to the degree that I can not view the world through my ego, but just through awareness and see where the feedback is and hopefully have the humility to respond to the feedback. Hopefully. I, I think that was a perfectly perfect answer to my question. I mean, that is exactly the way that I see it. And uh, and as it relates to my wife, we, we active, we're on the same page. Like we have the same shared beliefs. We talk about the kind of things that you and I talk about, but what I find interesting is, as it relates to my family, you know, my, my parents, my siblings, they don't necessarily have this new shared philosophy. They certainly don't have it through the lens of jujitsu with me. And when you are with the people who are closest to you, it is so quickly that you return to your base self, your childhood self. And they only see you as that person. And so no matter how much work you've done on yourself and how many jujitsu training sessions and how much, how big your business is, it doesn't matter how many people you employ. None of that matters when you get around the dinner table because they just see that 13 year old you and nobody knows how to pick your buttons and push your buttons and pull you back and get you to, to react the way that your immediate family does. And so something that I've struggled with, but I'm at least aware of, and I'm trying to be better at this is, uh, being that person, like you said, where, you know, you can, you can give to them and, and do it in such a way that even if they don't respond back the way that you want, it doesn't matter. You just tap and go, okay, I'm going to go right back and try to be of service to my family, even if they're being assholes. (laughs) Dude. Yeah. I like, uh, I actually just read the four agreements, which have been on my shelf for years. And I finally got around to it. And he talks about, we have an emotional body where we all have these open wounds and the ones closest to you tend to know what to say to open up that wound. So it can never heal. And I think that the greatest thing we can do for anybody, certainly the people we serve is just to work on ourselves. Because if I can do the work to heal my own wounds, when I'm with someone who we have a deep history and they know exactly what to poke 
if there's no wound there anymore, I'm not going to respond with aggression. And a lot of it is like play and catch, right? You dig at me, I dig at you, and we just kind of throw the ball back and forth. But when it's like throwing a ball through an invisible wall, it doesn't bounce back, it just disappears. Yeah. That's what we can bring to our family. And I think that's where the ego comes in because you can pacify it through healing yourself in a way where you don't feel compelled to ignite the ego of others. Yeah, I think that's really beautifully said. And uh, I think that's kind of like a, a black belt playing with a purple belt. Like, you know, it's like you being able to understand that you've you know risen above that pettiness and healing yourself. I, I have to read that book. I just jotted it down for agreements. Um, well, of course, I'm aware of that book, but I haven't I haven't read that one yet. Actually, I think I saw it on your Instagram. Did you post about that? I did. Yeah. 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 Man, it's like any of those books, like so many of them are invaluable. It just has to touch you at the right time. And for whatever reason, that book touched me at the right time. Yeah. I hope the same for you. Yeah, I'm, def I'm definitely going to pick it up. Okay. So now on the topic of books. So please, uh, please tell me about your new book. And, you know, I know we've touched on a whole, a whole bunch of subjects from it already, but if you wouldn't mind, uh, just, you know, generally speaking, like what, what is your goal for the audience in reading it? My goal is that they get the most out of their jujitsu training. And it's the same thing as getting the most out of life. If we're not deeply present and aware, life passes us by. Mm -hmm. And on a jujitsu mat, if you're not deeply present and aware, you'll do jujitsu, but you'll miss all the benefits. You can actually use jujitsu to reinforce your shortcomings and your ego and your bad habits rather than as a tool to dissolve them. And I heard this random, I mean, we've heard it a thousand times, but I heard somebody say, leave your ego at the door. And it like stuck me in my side because I know that's not how it works. That, by the way, that's on, uh, that's in my academy, you know, on our mat. It says no, no egos beyond this point. Yeah. If we were capable of doing that, we wouldn't need jujitsu. <laughs> So the reason why jujitsu is such a useful solvent for the ego is because I believe you're meant to walk your ego onto the mat like you would a small child and you don't have to change anything. You don't have to judge anything, but kind of how you were saying earlier, just pay attention to its response. And if you just bring attention to it where you get submitted in front of your professor and the cascade of negative thoughts that flow through your brain. Does it, does he think I suck now? Did my, did my teammates see that? That's fine. You know, you don't need to judge it. You don't need to change the inner monologue, but if you just become aware of it, you start to see rather than looking at jujitsu through the lens of the ego, you actually get to look at your ego and you get to see everything through a lens of you, you know, and there's a big difference between your ego and who you actually are. So I believe that we can, yeah, you use jujitsu as an antidote to all of our modern comforts. Like we know that it's community where we're all isolated. It trains your body where we're all stagnant. It gives you resistance where life may not. And all that is phenomenal. But I believe that when we're all looking for achievement, what we're really looking for is fulfillment. And wherever it is you're trying to go, if you can't actually be there when you get there, it's all for naught. And I think that for all of us in our community, all the virtues we seek, you tend to achieve them on the mat first, and then they bleed into the rest of your life. So why not pursue the most important possible thing, which is understanding who it is that you really are and coming to terms with your experience through jujitsu and using this as a skillful mindfulness practice so you can actually be in all the other areas of your life. Yeah. You said two things there that I think perfectly encapsulate the ego. Number one is uh, what you're saying to yourself, what's going on in your own mind, but what, what, what is your inner monologue saying? And then two, you know, who do you want to be? Like, who, who is it that you want to be? And for me, um, one of the things that I love about books and reading, why I became so obsessive about it was because so often the things that I were thinking were, you know, I was beating myself up. I was hurting myself, you know? And for me, a lot of it was uh, like bad relationships, ex-girlfriends, jealousy. Yeah. And I would sit there and create these stories in my head of things that were never even happening. I was just sitting in my car driving along and I'm thinking about thinking thoughts. 
And, you know, I have to give Tony Robbins a lot of credit for this because he has that simple saying where focus goes, energy flows. And when I read that, I said, oh my God, like, that's it. It's that easy. And it actually was that easy to just change what I was thinking about and, and, and changing the inputs going into my mind and filling my head with not was what does Jordan Edwards think, but how would Lincoln approach the situation? How does Grant approach the situation? You know, how does, um, you know, what are the best leaders, Patton? And so, uh, and then in the business side, you know, some of my greatest influences like Sam Zell and, and Warren Buffett. And so I stopped saying to myself, what does Jordan Edwards think? And started thinking about the same way that you've been quoting great thinkers and leaders. And now so often when I have friends who come to me in distress, you know, most recently I had a friend who is going through a lot of hard times personally. And he's like, I don't know, man, I think this, I think that, I think this. And I said, that's your problem. You think way too much. You have to stop thinking so much and you have to start going out there and finding what other people who have, who have had success, what they did to find that success. How did they go and attack these problems? How did they make decisions and what did they learn from their bad decisions? And then they figured out how to make good decisions. There's plenty of people who learn on their own, but I found that the smartest people in the world, they write these books because it's like they're leaving breadcrumbs for all the other people. And then what happens when you pick up these books is you start to see all the books that they've read. And they're <laughs> like, I read this book and this book and this book. And it, it helps and it teaches them about all these pivotal moments in their lives when they had to make decisions in their inner monologue. One of the ones I love the most is about um, uh, John F. Kennedy during the Cuban Missile Crisis. I think that book was in, uh, I think that story was in Ego is the Enemy, if I'm not mistaken, and about how Marcus Aurelius and, and meditations was helped him in those moments. It was like, what do I do? You know, the whole world is potentially a, a my decision, decision could, could go away with nuclear war. And so all of a sudden now you have to solve some trivial thing in your life that doesn't seem trivial, trivial at all, but you're reading about that moment or yeah. Lincoln writing the, you know, emancipation proclamation or grant, you know, at the battle, you know, battle of Appomattox, uh, Appomattox courthouse. So, you know, like how, how they think about these things in those moments have been my greatest teachers. Yes. And whenever I've gotten to a point like COVID or hurricane Sandy, or I've had to fire somebody, or I've had to make a big investment decision. I often go back to those moments and I think about what these people have done. Yeah. And I and I'm able to find the answer and a lot of and then how that relates to jujitsu is sometimes I don't even remember why I, know I have the right answer. Mm -hmm. It's only because of the collection of all these things that are deep inside of my subconscious. And I'm like, whoa, I have the answer. And now that happens to me in jujitsu, too. Like I'm in some complex situation. Someone's trying to pass my guard. And all of a sudden, before I know it, I'm on their back. I'm like, yeah. how did I even know how to do that? <laughs> it's because I've been training this thing for more than a decade. Yeah. And um and I just, I find that to be so incredible. And, the, and, the, and, and really the only way that you get there is not by, you know, like you said, the ego is there. You have to recognize it's not going anywhere. And it's a, it's a daily grind. And I think you said it so perfectly also. If you take off six months of thinking this way, if you take off six months of reading, if you take off six months of exercising, as my, as my sensei would say, jujitsu is a jealous mistress. <laughs> if you do not treat her well, she will leave you. <laughs> so... Dude, and I, it's funny, I have no technological skills, like bro, none. It's a miracle I was able to sign on to this. this. <laughs> and yet the metaphor I keep returning to is, I think it's hardware and software. We all come pre-programmed the way we are. That's our hardware. But a book, it's like downloading a new app. And better yet, when you download that new app, you can delete one that doesn't work. That you've replaced it with and i think so much of our work in this constant pursuit of education and learning and growing it's just getting the best software what are the patterns of thought and action that will serve me and the people around me and we're all in search of it and why would i go off on a treasure hunt when i know someone already found it and they can just give me the juice like i really want to read fiction i want to write fiction but I'm too impatient for fiction. I'm either not sophisticated enough or I'm too impatient. I just want to get right to the good stuff. Like, tell yeah. me what I need to know. And with the access that we have, like on these bookshelves, it's like, dude, people far smarter than us can tell us exactly what we need. And all we have to do is sit in a hammock and pay attention. It's such yeah. a gift. 
I, I want to read your fiction. This is where actually I think we we talked about this last time also, and because you're so you know it, you love the hero's journey, and I would love to hear what your thoughts if you could come up with a story on the hero's journey. But there's a show right now on Hulu. It's called The Bear, and the concept of this of this show since its first season is that essentially the a young chef who's like the best he's he's voted the best chef in the world, and he's working at the best restaurant in the world. They don't name it, but it's like in 11 Madison Park, which is the best restaurant in the world in New York City, and Noma in uh, the Netherlands, wherever that is. And he comes back to run his family sandwich shop in Chicago. And the place is just an absolute fucking mess. And it is this watching it unfold as he comes back trying to put this business back together and bring everything he knows and the excellence and the world-class approach that he had to rise to the tippy, tippy, tippy top of his industry and his field. And now all of a sudden he's back with these. It's basically like being Gordon Ryan and coming back and all of a sudden now you're with a whole bunch of quote unquote street fighters who have never actually <laughs> trained before. <laughs> you know, so like it is such an amazing piece of fiction that shows what a small business is all about. The interactions, the people, the family dynamics, the, the unwillingness to change, the desire to change, but maybe you know not the confidence to feel like you can change. And he yeah. comes back and he instills in them. And just as the episodes unfold and watching, whoever wrote the show just really understands the dynamics better than any book I've ever read mm-hmm. about small business and family business. Yes. And I was watching this with my wife and I was like cheering it on. I'm like, that's what it's like. That's <laughs> what running a business is like. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I would encourage you to, to, to give it a shot to see it because I really, um, I, like I said, uh, this isn't to stroke your ego. Um, it's truth. I've admired you long before I knew you and your work has meant so much to me. That's why it's so great that I, you know, we've developed this friendship through the podcast. And uh, uh, I just, I'm, I'm looking forward so much more to reading your works in the future. I know that you're not going to stop anytime soon. <laughs> and uh and thank you. Uh, let me share my screen right now so that I can uh, show the audience where to find your book. So this is Chris's new book, Jiu-Jitsu and the Ego. It's available now. I'm about halfway through it, and it's fantastic. Quick read, easy read, powerful read. Um, can't recommend it highly enough. And all of, all of your other works as well. Let me show those now. Also on Chris's um, profile on Amazon, you can find the rest of his his titles. Uh, some of my favorites are uh, your book on resistance, fantastic. Uh, I love on jujitsu, that was great. And then you have where is it the Jordan Peterson inspired one here? Twelve Twelve Rules, Rules for Jujitsu is great if you're a Jordan Peterson fan. You know the influences in your work are are great, and uh, and all of the rest of the works. I've given your books out as gifts many many times. I appreciate that. Thank you, man. That's awesome. And then before we go, I also just want to share your Instagram so people can find you there. Uh, Chris Matak is BJJ. And uh, are you, do you have a website set up right now for your coaching business? We do. ChrisMatakis.com. Yeah, that's where you get all the information. And that's been, we talk about getting black belts. Dude, I find that work so meaningful. I will become a better black belt in coaching than I am at jiu-jitsu. That is my yeah. personal goal to myself. It's just, it's so rewarding. We use jiu-jitsu as a vehicle for personal development, but there's a big barrier to entry with jiu-jitsu. So it's so nice to get to serve people off the mat as well, which actually, uh, I know we're short on time. I would love to ask you a question. Sure. So, dude, I'm technically a business guy, but I don't even know what business is. And I, I have very little business acumen, but I believe that business is service. And my bank account will be reflected by my positive contribution to the world. And I'm viewing that really as my sole metric. That mm. the more I can serve, the more I can give, the more the financial stuff will work out. Do you think that holds true? What is business to you? One of the things I, I often say to people who want to start on this crazy path of entrepreneurship is if, if you do what you love, the money will come anyway. And so if you are, if you, your goal is to be of service and you do that with all your heart, 
you, you'll learn the financial stuff down the road if it's important to you. Um, being in business is about understanding what your customer needs and wants and trying to give it to them the best that they absolutely can. Um, the, the, the art of business itself, like operating a business is exactly like doing anything else. You just have to keep showing up and trying to get better at it. You can tap millions of times and make every single mistake because 99% of the people in the world and 99% of the people who start businesses give up. And I think it's the exact same metric with jujitsu. That's why I think it's a, a perfect metaphor. Most people just give up. They just stop coming. That's why they go out of business. It's not because they, you know, there's a, a sure many, many, many different things that could happen to put you out of business. Regulations change and the business environment. Most businesses go out of business because they run out of working capital and then they just give up. Yeah. But what I found is, is that if you just don't give up, you can't lose. I've never been that great at jujitsu. No part of my jujitsu is, you know, world class. I'm not going to be the best competitor. I'm, I'm just not the best at anything. The only thing that I have is I just haven't given up. That's it. And because of that, I have gone and run circles around people who have given up, even if it's just for long periods of time. You know, people have been blue belts for five, six years. People have been purple belts for eight years. Um, I just keep at it. And I've had times where I've been off the mat, especially in my blue belt years where I had the blue belt blues. Mm -hmm. But in my business, same thing. I have friends that are infinitely times more successful than I am financially, but I'm not competing against them. I'm only competing against myself. Nobody is taking my business and saying, oh, you're in the 800th place and your buddy over there who went to Harvard is in 32nd place. It doesn't matter. The only person I have to compete when I wake up with in the morning is myself. I just have yeah. to come back and create enough economic output so that my business is healthy and sustainable. And all the people that work for me are happy. Yeah. And if that's if that's my goal is to create a great business, then all I have to do is keep showing up and doing. And um, and that's why I love jujitsu as the metaphor too, because it is literally the exact same thing. If I'm an asshole to my training partners, if I smell you know, <laughs> terrible to roll with, if I'm hurting people constantly, you know, there you have these guys, and I've had to stop rolling with a few of them over the years. They just hurt people constantly. It's like a a game for them to try to battle and guess what they don't have training partners so it's the same thing with employees and the same thing with customers you have to treat them you know one of our core values in our business is people do business with people they like yes and um so i hope that was a i hope that was a good answer that was a great answer yeah. well thank you sir. chris uh an absolute pleasure i have to run but you are always welcome back on this podcast anytime. I'd love to talk to you again and really dig into your coaching business. Uh, love to, anytime you have a book coming out, you just, uh, I'm at your service for anything that you need. Likewise, man. I appreciate it. Grateful for our friendship. You too. Have a great day. See you, bud.